Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 11th of July, 2022, and this is episode 263. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to historian Professor Mac Fitzpatrick, professor in the College of Humanities, Arts, Social Sciences at Flinders University in Australia. I talked to Matt about the fate two German imperial colonial possessions during the First World War. These are German Cameroon and German Samoa, and what happens to them during the opening months of the Great War. Matt spoke to me from his office in Australia. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War and Imperial Germany, and particular, particularly their overseas colonies? Yeah, sure. So I'm the a professor of international history here in Adelaide, um, and um, I originally hail from just north of, of Sydney in New South Wales, and I primarily work on German history, particularly on kind of the political and colonial history of, um, of Germany, and I suppose it's fair to say that my, my first start in German colonial history came when I became interested in the, the genocidal 1904 Herero-Nama war in, in German Southwest Africa, because coming from a, a kind of a settler colonial state like Australia, which has got its own uh, history of radical violence against colonised people, it became a, a real uh, in, source of, of interest to me how other states, how other Europeans uh, were able to impose themselves upon the, the people of the, if you like, of the global south, of, of Africa, Asia, um, and, the, and the Pacific. And so in some ways, if you like, German colonial history matched my intellectual interest in European history and my own kind of personal curiosity about my position in the world and, and here in Australia. So I suppose I wanted to know how other states, apart from Britain, um, uh, arrived at and, and, and ran their empire. So we're going to talk about the fate of two German colonial possessions in the opening months of the Great War. That, that is German Cameroon and German Samoa. Could you first, uh, could you start by firstly telling us where these places um, are and what they're called today? Yeah, so Germany had a number of, of colonies, primarily in Africa and, and in the Pacific, but it also had... Um, Kiachou um, uh, in, in northern China. Now, Cameroon is in kind of central West Africa on the coast. It, it um, abuts Nigeria. It's just north of, of the equator. And um, more or less on the other side of the world, Samoa is in the Pacific. It sort of lies north of New Zealand. It's west of Australia and, and New Guinea. And it's, it's kind of south of the equator, if you like, right in the middle of the, of the Pacific. Ocean. I mean, in some ways, looking at these two, two territories, you get a real sense of the fact that Germany prior to World War I is already a, a global power, albeit one on a much more modest scale than, say, Britain or, or France, but nonetheless able to, to, um, to boast colonies in, uh, in, in all hemispheres. Which brings me to the next question is, why did Germany want these possessions and when and how did it acquire them? So the, the, I think the key to answering that question is to look at the state of, of global trade at the time. In many ways, if you like, uh, imperialism in the 19th century is seen as, um, if you like, a kind of enforced form of globalisation, a way of, ex of exporting 
um, uh, the economy, but also demography and indeed political and, and military power across, across the, the globe. In individual terms, if you look at Samoa, for example, there was a long history of trade, particularly with, uh, with Hamburg, particularly with, uh, say, firms like Godefroy and Son, um, who were interested in the copper trade. They've been there since the mid-19th century. And um, during this time, of course, uh, Samoa was independent with a very intricate political system of titles, um, and um, that meant that kind of kingship was, was a contested affair. And over time, kind of German, British and American traders and consular representatives uh, forced their way into this contest in, in Samoa. And so political power in this region uh, became very important for the maintenance of, of economic power as the Pacific became increasingly uh, hardwired into the global economy. Uh, it was seen that it was no longer possible to just allow firms to operate with consular representation, but rather that um, the rather hard and fast and far more, if you like, um, um, oppressive conditions of, of formal empire were necessary in a place like uh, Samoa. So this moved gradually as a gradual process. Um, there were two Samoan civil wars, which were largely proxy wars for the, very, for the, for the three powers in the region, Britain, Germany and the United States. This happened in the 1880s and 1890s. And the upshot of this was that the powers decided that actually forget about uh, Samoan kingship, forget about Samoan independence. Instead, we will partition Samoa. And this happened in 1899-1900 with the US getting what today is known as um, um, American Samoa with the, the kind of the very deep and sheltered harbour of Pago Pago. And the Germans get the trade and administrative um, center of Apia and the rest of what used to be called Western Samoa. And uh, Britain gets kind of territorial guarantees elsewhere in, in the Pacific. Now, um, this was extremely important to Germans at home um, who saw in Samoa a kind of, if you like, totemic issue. Samoa was seen, if you like, as a kind of a, a, a symbol for Germany's capacity to to project its power across um, the globe. And the threat to German influence in Samoa was seen as a threat to German Weltpolitik, German global policy, uh, and Germany's capacity to, if you like, globalise both its economy and also its power. Cameroon was, I suppose, less important to German um, domestic um, uh, population, Germany's domestic population. Um, it is very much, again, a part of this kind of uh, economic push into the rest of the world. It, it begins, German Cameroon begins effectively with a series of um, treaties being signed by coastal uh, kings, Dualan kings, in, in, around the mouth of kind of the, the river and just near the ocean there. Um, but gradually the Germans um, use these treaties with the, with the Douala um, on the coast to to push their influence further inland into the grasslands, um, into places like Bamum, and eventually into Cameroon's um, highlands. This is done partially by diplomacy where possible, um, but where diplomacy um, does not get what the Germans want in Cameroon, then they, uh, they also undertake a, a number of very bloody wars of subjugation. And again, the, this is all in the motive for all of this is in enhancing their, their trading position um, in, in Africa, and part of that enhance, enhancing of, of trading power meant um, securing um, certain, if you like, 
important strategic um, locations and, and trading centres, and Douala was one, one of those. Now, just one last thing to say about all of this, of course, is that Germany's very right to be a colonial power um, is effectively ratified by the other European powers at the Berlin Africa Conference of 1884-1885, hosted by Bismarck, in which um, Germany effectively demands that it be allowed to do the kinds of things around the world that uh, Britain, the Netherlands, France, to say nothing of Portugal and Spain, have been doing for a century. Uh, so under the kind of, if you like, the, the political and legal international law infrastructure set up at this conference in 1884-5, uh, the Germans feel emboldened, if you like, to consolidate their holdings. So what happens in East, each of these territories in the opening months of uh, 1914? Yeah, so it's very interesting to see that, I mean, the the two colonies had followed very different trajectories in, in many ways, although the end goal was the same, namely bedding down uh, these colonies inside the German economy and inside the German empire more broadly. Um, if we look, for example, at uh, German Cameroon, uh, precisely at the time in which the war breaks out, uh, the Germans have made um, a, a rather ill-advised or very ill-advised, horrific attempt to dispossess the Douala of their territory, to turn the, the city of Douala, the harbour city or town of Douala, into a, a, a whites-only city and to try and push the Douala population into the hinterland. And this is being resisted via um, petitions and via political means by the king, um, uh, King, um, King Rudolf de Alamanga Bell, um, who um, is, gains significant allies in, in Germany. But, as the, but when the war breaks out, um, he is um, put on trial on trumped-up charges of, um, of, of sedition against the, the German crown and is, um, and is hanged. So this kind of, the, this sets the scene, if you like, this judicial murder of, um, um, of the King of the Douala sets the scene for, for the war in, in, uh, in German Cameroon. So unsurprisingly, once the, the British are able to make their way through the kind of the mines that are set at the mouth of, of, of the kind of the Dual Harbour and, and a little further out, um, there is no love lost between, um, there was no attempt by the Dual people of Douala to, to defend the Germans. And the Germans very quickly find themselves pushed back into the Cameroonian uh, highlands um, and uh, there they are able to mount a, a kind of, if you like, a, a nuisance campaign um, and, until 19, uh, 1916. But they do so um, in a way, of course, that means that, all, that, that it is the Africans that are doing the, the dying in this. Now, Samoa, I mean, Samoa had not been, if you like, drenched in the same kind of blood that uh, German Cameroon had prior to the war, um, during the formal colonial period, although you remember it had its two civil wars um, before that, um, rather the, the, the German governors in Samoa had decided that if it took 50 or 100 years to gradually dispossess uh, the Samoans and gradually bring them to become a, um, a workforce for German industry, then that, that they would do so. Now, this has been misunderstood as a, as a benign kind of liberal uh, colonial regime, but as I've said, effectively, the, um, uh, the, the end goal was, was the same. And anyone who questioned that um, was, effect was, was sent into exile somewhere else in the Pacific and never to return to Samoa again. So in the first months of, of, um, 
1914, you see that um, the, the Germans are in no position to defend Samoa. And Erich Schulz, who was the governor at the time, decides that should um, one of the Entente powers arrive, then, then he will surrender the colony um, to ensure that, no, that there's no bloodbath. There is no way that, that they can um, defend their, their colony, primarily because uh, Samoa is secured by a very small Samoan police force uh, with the occasional visit from the, the German Navy. Um, so this is, uh, this is exactly what happens when the New Zealanders um, arrive. Uh, the, the governor of Samoa immediately surrenders the colony um, and turns it over to. What happens to both colonies um, after the war? Um, do they do they gain their freedom, or as probably I expect, they become somebody else's possession? Yeah, your your suspicion is well founded. They uh, are unable to to gain their independence um, during the war. The uh, uh, New Zealanders have interned many of the Germans that were on Samoa in New Zealand, particularly government officials, particularly military uh, personnel. Um, and after the war, Samoa is turned into a mandate um, territory for, of New Zealand, and uh, Cameroon is split um, one, uh, using one of the lesser-known strokes of, um, of Pico's pen, Francois-Georges Pico's pen, or actually in this case, pencil, um, and a, about a fifth of it is given to the British as um, uh, the British Cameroons, and the rest of it becomes um, French Cameroon. And uh, they have to wait until the 1960s for, uh, for their independence. Now, this is not for, for want of trying. In particular, um, I mean, as Susan Pedersen has shown, the Samoans go to the League of Nations and make a very eloquent case as to why they should be independent. Um, but the League of Nations, unsurprisingly, given the, the broader the broader structures uh, of the global kind of system at the time, um, simply say, no, this is going to, Samoa is going to be handed over to, uh, to, to New Zealand. Um, and as I said, Cameroon um, um, has the same. This has some effects, by the way. In Cameroon, for example, you have uh, very loyal, um, loyal is probably too strong a word, um, kings who have aligned themselves very closely to the Germans, such as um, uh, King uh, Njoya of, of Bamum, he suddenly finds he's now on the wrong side of the of the frontier once the Germans are expelled from Cameroon and the British and then the French come along and he is suddenly seen as um, suspiciously um, pro-German and he loses power. And the similar thing happened during the war in Samoa where, for example, one of the, um, the um, most prominent nobles, Tamasesi, who had gone to, to Berlin to meet um, Kaiser Wilhelm II personally um, immediately prior to the war, he remained um, pro-German until his death during the war. But after the war, this pro-German faction, if you like, uh, of the Samoans um, loses its influence and the, the pro-British faction, if you like, um, gains the ascendancy. And does either place uh, have a German cultural legacy as a result of uh, their, their occupation by Imperial Germany? I'm sort of thinking in terms of place names or maybe German language or spoken in parts. Hmm. Um, the legacies of the German period, I suppose, are certainly felt less in terms of um, official culture or formal culture in, in these colonies. Um, unlike, say, for example, Namibia, which was German Southwest Africa, where a very large German population uh, remained more or less intact and enjoyed a kind of a privileged status 
while it was a mandate and then a, a part of South Africa. Um, but after the German period, Cameroon has a very long French period and um, uh, Samoa has a very long New, uh, New Zealand kind of period or period of New Zealand's rule. And so when, when uh, in the initial, I guess, throes of coming to terms with, with, uh, with their colonial legacies, um, it is these states, France on the one hand or New Zealand on the other, that are first brought up. So, for example, Samoans are acutely aware of the role played um, in the brutal suppression of independence movements by the New Zealanders during their rule. They are acutely aware of the role that the New Zealanders played in allowing the post-war um, uh, flu, influenza, to get in and, and kill uh, almost, a, you know, somewhere between a quarter and even a third of the Samoan population in the immediate years after the war. These are the kinds of legacies that many uh, Samoans are, are acutely aware of. Um, and so, too, in Cameroon, uh, their relationship with, Frank, with France continues. Um, it's fair to say this is a, a hierarchical relationship. Um, and indeed, the split between the British and the French uh, parts of Cameroon continues to have an ongoing legacy in terms of um, internal divisions within, within Cameroon. Uh, but that said, uh, there's still a large number of thorny issues in place, in particular, um, the, the legacy of uh, things such as um, the, re the removal of human remains from both places, which were removed by anthropologists who were looking to study them. And so repatriation of those remains has become very important um, in, in, in both of these places as well as elsewhere throughout the German, ex-German empire. Um, but also the looting of, of important artefacts um, has also been important. Um, so, for example, in Germany presently, there was an enormous new museum. The, the Humboldt Forum has been opened in um, on the site of the old Kaiser's Palace in the centre of Berlin. And uh, what has been very interesting is the extent to which people from ex-German colonies have demanded that many of the exhibits there be returned to them precisely because they were looted during the colonial period. So there, there, is, um, there is that kind of legacy that, that continues on as well. Other things to say, of course, is particularly in Samoa, where, um, where intermarriage between Germans and Samoans was, um, was the rule rather than the exception, you still, of course, have many Samoans who quite proudly um, say, oh, yes, my, um, my grandfather was a German uh, planter um, and you know, my great-grandfather my great uh, was a, a, in the German um, colonial administration. So those kind of, And so you see a smattering, if you like, of German last names um, and, and kind of a sense of ongoing um, family links uh, in that sense. And my final question is, where can people learn more about these two German colonies during the Great War? Yeah, so some of these issues are brought up in my, my book, um, The Kaiser and the Colonies, which is on the cusp of publication with Oxford University Press. And again, that'd be a good place to start. I think I've, there's certainly um, there's two dedicated chapters on German Cameroon and uh, at least one um, on, on German Samoa. So that would be a good place to sort of start, I think. These, of course, there are other authors who have done tremendous work on this as well, and they're all in the footnotes uh, there. Um, alternatively, you can try and find me over on Twitter or at um, my Flinders University webpage, and um, we can continue the conversation there. Matt, thank you very much for your time. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. 
The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...